Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Bay Curious listener Hoon Kim lives in Alameda. Before the pandemic, he'd hop in his car and slog across the Bay Bridge to his office in San Francisco. I usually use Fast Track. With the pandemic, he doesn't cross the bridge as much. But when he does, he's noticed one very big change. What happened to all the toll workers? He started thinking, if there's no one taking the money, how do people with cash pay? And then I looked at the signs that says, oh, go through and we will bill you. That just raised more questions for him. How are they billing people? How are they getting in contact with, you know, who's the owner of the car? Is that actually the right address? And so are they losing a lot of money because they can't actually get paid? Today on the show, we're answering your questions in a Bay Curious lightning round. We tackle changes you've noticed this past year on our bridges, on the water, and in how we consume. I'm Katrina Schwartz, and this is Bay Curious. Support for Bay Curious comes from Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Committed to brewing things the right way since 1980, because when you're a family-run brewery, there's no other way to do it. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Still family-owned, operated, and argued over. And be sure to stay tuned through the end of the show so you can play our monthly trivia game for a chance to win some cool prizes. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest, and I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Folks who don't drive across Bay Area bridges every day might not be familiar with Fast Track. It's a white plastic transponder that sends out a radio signal. You keep it in your car. Every time you drive over a bridge, it deducts the toll from your account. The important thing is there's no stopping to pay the toll. Almost 75% of bridge crossers use Fast Track, like our question asker, Hoon Kim. But what about the other 25%, the folks who pay cash? Well, if there are no toll workers, then how are they actually collecting toll? Because not everyone has a fast-track transponder. Are they losing a lot of money because they can't actually get paid through the toll? Well, we were losing, you know, like $4 million a month. 
That's Randy Rentschler, spokesperson for the Bay Area Toll Authority, the agency that runs Fast Track. So, yeah, in 2020, the agency lost a lot of money. But Randy says he expects to get it back. That's because since March, cameras have captured photos of the license plates on every car that's passed through a toll plaza. Officials either match the plates to an existing Fast Track account or send a monthly bill to the address listed on the car's registration. And if you don't pay the bill, you might get a nasty surprise. So you can't register your vehicle in California until you pay your toll bill. So we're not quite losing the money. What we have is a pretty large interest-free loan. Randy says the toll authority didn't charge any late fees on tolls not paid in 2020 because it was an abrupt change and people were getting used to it. But starting in January 2021, there will be additional fees for not paying on time. The plan to make bridge tolls electronic was already in place. COVID just sped it up. And Randy says the change should make everyone's drive time faster. Balancing the cash payer with the fast track is not an easy thing. It seems simple, but it's not. And if we have too many cash lanes, it ties up the traffic really badly. If we have too few and all the cash payers show up like they do on the weekends and you have fast track, you can't get out of the cash paying mess. Moving to an all electronic system was inevitable, he says. Another listener, Eli, also noticed the missing toll takers, but he wants to know what those workers are doing now. Since I'm studying in Davis right now, I was kind of going back and forth. So I'd be driving with my dad and we noticed that there were no toll workers on the bridges. So we were just wondering whether they just straight up got laid off or if they're able to like transfer to a different job or something like that. It's actually Caltrans, another state agency that employs the toll workers. A spokesperson there says when COVID hit, there were 250 people working at Bay Area Bridges. So far, none of them have been laid off. Caltrans is working with the employees and their union to find another position for them within the agency. It's the end of an era. No more toll workers on Bay Area Bridges, even after the pandemic is over. And if you don't have Fast Track, make sure to keep a close eye on your mail. On to our next question, which comes from another listener crossing the Bay Bridge. Hi, my name is Christian Garvin. I live in the Marina District of San Francisco, but I work in San Leandro, so every day I drive over the Bay Bridge. And as I sit in traffic, I look over to my left and I think, that's an awful lot of cargo ships just sitting there. As a business person, It makes me wonder, how is that efficient? What's going on? Hopefully you guys can help. There are more than usual. And Christian isn't the only person who's noticed the cargo ship backup. So I called up the Port of Oakland. Under normal circumstances, there should be zero ships in the bay. This is Robert Bernardo, spokesman for the port. He says over the past several weeks, there's been as many as 13 ships and as few as five anchored in the bay waiting to be unloaded. The why is a complicated tangle of shipping networks and exclusive maritime contracts. But in a nutshell, the supply chains are backed up. Asian factories are shipping goods in record numbers to replenish store shelves and assembly lines. And people are doing more shopping online, which means more imports to unload. The ships anchored in the bay are huge. Each one could have 14 to 18,000 container boxes on it. Retailers and manufacturers, consumers, 
they're all driving this surge. And that's the phenomena that we're experiencing right now. This is a global problem because shipping operates on a tight schedule. If that schedule gets off in any way, the delay ripples out to affect other ships, other ports, other businesses. It's not good for the port because any type of logjam hinders trade. Under normal circumstances, the Port of Oakland exports almost as much back to Asia as it imports. But everything depends on keeping to the shipping schedule. When a cargo ship gets stuck in the Suez Canal for a couple of days, or there are delays at the Long Beach port, it messes with the all-important schedule. Bernardo says folks in the maritime industry expect the logjam to last through the summer, and it could impact what we see on our shelves. Now, our third and final question about changes this year. It comes from Kelly Runyon and won a voting round. What I'm wondering about is, with all the changes that have happened with the pandemic, has the use of some resources changed or not? Kelly specifically wanted to know about water, electricity, and landfill space. To help answer his question, I talked with Will Reisman, the press secretary for the San Francisco Public Utilities Commission. Hi, Will. Hey, thanks for having me. The SFPUC provides water and some electricity to San Francisco. Let's start with water. What are you seeing there? For residential water usage, since the pandemic is in place, it's up 5%, while commercial usage is down 38% in San Francisco. I think that goes to the fact that, you know, San Francisco is a commuting hub, so a lot of workers come into San Francisco, that can explain um, why there would be this mismatch in commercial usage versus residential usage. You know, there's these huge office buildings that we serve that obviously are huge economic hubs for, for the region. Oh, okay, I see. So a lot of folks who used to commute to San Francisco and use water when they were at work are now at home wherever they live. So you're not seeing that usage in San Francisco's residential water use. That makes sense. Do you have any insight into how water is being used in other Bay Area towns? One of the things that is unique about um, the SFPUC is that we are the retail water provider in San Francisco, but we are also the, the wholesale provider to 27 different agencies throughout the Bay Area. So we do have a little bit more insight into regional consumption and usage trends on the water side than we would in the, on the power side because of that wholesale nature of our operation. And, and we have noticed that it hasn't been as uniform from town to town as we might expect. For example, Burlingame and Palo Alto have overall decreased usage, whereas Redwood City and Hillsborough's usage is up. I checked in with a few other water providers, too. Counties that are more residential, like Marin and places in the East Bay, saw fairly consistent water use before the pandemic to now. The highs and lows there are related to the seasons and drought conditions. And it makes sense that commercial and tourist hubs like San Francisco would see bigger drops. Okay, what about the power side? I know the SFPUC provides power to the municipal buildings and big power users like SFO and Muni. What are the trends there? We are seeing about an overall decrease of 17% in consumption. You can imagine why, because Muni is operating reduced services. SFO is a lot less busier. You can see consumption trends making sense on that regard. There's some upticks in services like sewer treatment, public hospitals, streetlights. So it's not completely down across the board. And I know you also provide some power to homes and businesses. So what are you seeing on that side of things? Residential usage is about up about 7% which you'd expect. More people are working from home, uh, more people at home during the day. 
Commercial usage is down 18%. No one's working downtown right now. That makes sense. As a result, we're seeing an overall reduction of about 8%. It actually surprises me that usage isn't down more overall, given the numbers that you just gave us. We have a bigger residential base than a commercial base. So those bigger drops in commercial usage are offset by the comparatively smaller gains in residential usage because there's more residences. The SFPUC is only one power and water provider in the Bay Area. I also checked in with PG&E to see if they were seeing similar trends in power consumption. They weren't able to break out the numbers by region, but across their more than 5 million electric accounts, they saw a decrease of 2% from mid-March 2020 through the end of the year. On to waste. Overall amount of waste that Californians have generated is down. And for the first six months of the pandemic, it was about a 10% total reduction in the amount of waste that was being disposed in California landfills. This is Mark Murray, the executive director of an environmental group called Californians Against Waste. It might seem like, wow, I'm seeing more waste in my garbage can at home. I'm seeing more takeout food packaging. I'm seeing disposable masks and other things. And it seems like in terms of my day-to-day residential life, it seems like there's more waste. And certainly there is. But overall, we're sending less waste to the landfill because businesses are producing a lot less trash. And that has an outsized impact. This trend bears out in San Francisco. Recology, the city's waste contractor, says when comparing October through December of 2019 to the same period in 2020, commercial waste is down 33 percent. But residential waste is only up 2 percent. That means overall 14 percent less garbage being hauled to the landfill. That's about six huge long-haul trucks worth of trash. Recology also says total recyclables are up, which leads to something else Mark Murray talked about. We were already seeing the Amazon effect. People are ordering a lot more stuff directly to their homes, and that creates a lot of waste. A lot more cardboard boxes, a lot of these flexible, non-recyclable plastic packages. So certainly that has been a, a cause of an uptick in residential waste, and the pandemic has only increased that. Murray says groups like his are working to make retailers like Amazon responsible for the cost of that waste, hoping it pressures a change. But he also says consumers need to know the impact of their actions. This whole pandemic does represent a window into what might be if we were actually to change behavior and change systems so that we reduced our consumption. I guess I'll think again before ordering all those new fancy dresses I'm not wearing anyway. That's it for this week. If you don't already get our newsletter, sign up for it on our website, baycurious.org. Just scroll down to the purple box. We answer even more of your questions there, and it only comes once a month, so it won't clog your inbox. Bay Curious is produced by Susie Racho, Katie McMurrin, and me, Katrina Schwartz. Our show is a production of member-supported KQED in San Francisco. Hi, Bay Curious listeners. Are you ready to play May's trivia game? Every month, we read a question here at the end of our episode. You can give us your answers over at our website, kqed.org slash baycurious, or just click the link in the episode description.
Out of the correct answers, we'll randomly choose one lucky winner to receive a cool prize package with Bay Curious swag and Sierra Nevada goodies. Okay, our question for the month is, the world's longest-running pillow fighting contest was held from 1966 to 2006 in what Bay Area town? Our trivia quiz is made possible by Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. Good luck. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks.